Luke 15, 1 through 10. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to him to listen. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after that one lost sheep until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice! With me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten coins, if she loses one of them, does not light the lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that was lost. And just so I tell you, there is more joy in heaven in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And let us pray. Gracious God, we come before you this morning, each of us knowing our need and grateful for your provision. Help us each and every day, Lord, to be mindful that your grace is sufficient for us, even us, and for all people. For it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So this may or may not surprise you, but I do not hang around livestock. Didn't grow up around livestock, didn't do anything on a farm unless it was like a field trip at school or something. I I don't know livestock and livestock behavior. When we lived up in the mountains in a little community, there was a, a field of goats and a field of cows between our parsonage and the church. That's about as close as I ever really got. We'd roll down the windows when the kids were in the car and we'd moo or we'd bleat or whatever and, uh, you know, we tried to get into it, but, but I don't know livestock. Seen them at the fair, the prize-winning ones, of course. But I just hadn't had much experience with sheep and cows and pigs and things like that until I went on this pilgrimage in Scotland and England. And the vast majority of our time was spent walking through pastures that were loaded with sheep. Throw in your occasional cow and you had pretty clean, complete picture, but beautiful, beautiful rolling hills dotted with sheep everywhere. We learned real quickly that we had to watch where we stepped. <laughs> they were so everywhere. Tons of sheep, tons of cows, tons of fences and gates that we had to cross in and out. Lots of signs up about that livestock, which I found rather amusing after a while. One was, cows with calves can be unpredictable. Thank you, I learned that lesson. Or I didn't question that lesson, let's just say. Bull in field, that was another one. Be careful, right? One was, um, shut the gate. 
Every time we went through, shut the gate, shut. That was the most common one. Every gate we passed through and unlatched and relatched, shut the gate. They knew evidently somebody had gotten out at one point or another. Shut the gate because the sheep in particular, they wander. The sheep will go anywhere there is an open path. Shut the gate. And, and so we were very mindful of, of that particular sign all the time. Now, one of the days, we were walking through a field, and we had just gotten to, to like a, a thicket before we got to the field. Could see it in the distance. And we heard this vehicle, there it is, coming up behind us. And we turn around, and there's a shepherd on an ATV. Isn't that awesome? And my whole image of Jesus as the shepherd took on new meaning. It was great. I mean, why wouldn't Jesus drive an ATV if he was a shepherd in the rolling hills of Scotland and England and so forth? Why wouldn't he be on an ATV? And if you look closely, he's got a dog or she. It was a she-shepherd. She has a dog balancing on the back. Now, that's pretty good, isn't it? Up and down the hills, and that dog just hung on for dear life. But anyway, I just love this picture because... It gives me a whole new perspective. When I think of Jesus looking for the lost sheep and putting that found sheep on his shoulders, it's tender, right? And gentle and peaceful. Why not put him on an ATV today? Why not think that, that sheep can be found in any number of ways, in any number of places? Why not? The point is what we begin to know to be true about God is that God looks. And that God pursues. And that God is not satisfied until every sheep is back at home. God, we begin to understand this to be true about God as we go through our scriptures as our story. And, and we begin to know that God is not satisfied until all the sheep are back in the field, in the fold. That is that compelling love of God that seeks and finds all of us. All of us. So we look at our text today, and certainly it is a story about being lost and about being found. It is a story about those who have wandered astray and that God cares for so very much that God's going to go looking until he finds and what I think as we start to look at Luke 15, we begin to see by now that this story is very similar. The pattern of this story is very similar to so much of what we read in Luke. We read that, that the people around Jesus, particularly the religious types, they get a little frustrated that Jesus is so willing to go beyond the fence. That Jesus is so compelled by love and motivated by grace that Jesus is willing to unlatch that fence and walk straight out, it, out of it looking for that one lost sheep. And this has become a pattern of Christ's. Perhaps we're getting it. That every single sheep matters. Now translate that metaphor into people. And are we not all the more valuable I speak of the woman looking for the lost coin, the money. Are we not all the more valuable than a lost coin or a lost sheep? And so we have this story of Jesus, and he comes to this place where the religious types are grumbling. I love that word. That's a great word. They're grumbling. 
They're grumbling. Too many sinners around here, and not only are there too many sinners, but Jesus is welcoming them. Scandal, second your breath. <gasps> Jesus is welcoming them <gasps> and eating with them. <gasps> Scandal. Now, I think as we continue in our bumper sticker theology, you saw the, um, the bumper sticker we're looking at today is about repentance. It's if you are going the wrong way, heading the wrong direction, God allows U-turns, right? Have you seen that one? Yeah, that one's not too unfamiliar. If you're heading in the wrong direction, God allows U-turns. But I want to flip that for us this morning because I think Scripture does that. And I think that Methodist, and particularly understanding of God's grace, does it as well. There is this flip in this statement that I want us to consider for the rest of our time together. God allows U-turns when, not if, when we are heading in the wrong direction. God allows U-turns when we are heading in the wrong direction. So hear what the difference is, and I think it's found in this story. God comes first. The love of God, the grace of God, the desire of God for each one of us comes first. For God so loved this world that he gave his only son. God comes first. And then we move into the relationship where you and I move out of faithfulness, sheep that we are. When you and I stick close to the fold and perhaps show each other where the good grass is. I, I liked Foltz Weber's comparison to that. We get it right. We do the relationship right. And yet, in this relationship all the time, we move in and out of faithfulness. We wander and we get lost. And then, if you follow the text, we're found, and guess what? God is so happy, he throws a party. I love that. God bookends this relationship, this invitation to relationship on both sides. Compelled by love, found in relationship, and then God's going to throw us a party. And I think that it's more um, accurate to say, God allows U-turns first. So that when we get it wrong, we can turn back. We can take that initiative. That, that's part of it. We're not saved by works, lest anyone should boast, but we're saved by the recognition of God's deep, abiding, compelling, initiating, seeking love. And so we go to this text again, and, and we see it, quite frankly, the, the, the rabbis or the um, scribes and the Pharisees, they don't like the way Jesus is behaving. This is, this is opting out. This is love before behavior, and they don't get it, and they don't like it when they do get it. Jesus is a rabbi. They can all admit that. Jesus is a wise teacher. They, they debate with him in the synagogues. They're in relationship with him of some sort because they're near there, too. They're in the crowd. Je Jesus is with not just the sinners that they point out. Jesus is with the sinners called the scribes and the Pharisees as well. And Jesus doesn't color within the lines. And Jesus doesn't fit in the box that they would like to keep him in. And the scriptures tell us they begin to grumble, complain, fuss, whine. Have you ever heard that from the people of God? I don't like it. 
They don't like this turning of the phrase. They don't like this new understanding of relationship coming first based on God. They don't like it, not yet. Perhaps they will, maybe they won't, but they don't like it. And Jesus says, you know, he doesn't return with accusation. I I just love him that way. Jesus doesn't get defensive at their question. Jesus doesn't shrink to their accusation. Jesus doesn't need to do any of that because Jesus is quite confident in how it is that God works in this world. Compelled by love, not on the defense, on the offense, if you will. Going, seeking, compelled, taking the initiative. And so Jesus doesn't need to react to the criticism or the critique or to the grumbling or the whining or the fussing. Jesus simply says, guys, let me tell you a story. Maybe with a story you'll begin to understand what I'm talking about. Maybe with a story that all of us can relate to, those of us who live around sheep, those of us who live around livestock, maybe... You'll begin to get it. Let me tell you this story. Which one of you, if you'd lost a sheep, even though you have 99 others, which one of you would not go seek that lost sheep, that valuable sheep? And when you find it, would you not bring it home and throw a party, inviting your friends and your neighbors and all those around you to celebrate the sheep's return? Would you not do this? Jesus asks, Same as a woman who's lost a coin. I mean, I can't tell you how much I'll dig in my purse trying to find a lost coin. Would you not, if you'd lost a coin, would you not go and sweep and clean and search and seek that coin until you find it, and then when you find it, go ahead and spend it to throw that party? Because the coin is better spent on that. Which of you wouldn't do that? Come on. Go with me, people. Be with me. We are here claimed by grace so that we may understand that's how God works. That's how God chooses to operate. That's how God moves in and out of the lives of believers. And we stay faithful and we get it wrong, but God doesn't let us go. And God keeps seeking and looking and claiming us. Owen, our son, was just a little guy, four or five years old. Jonathan and I didn't know that he could both unlock a door and walk out it. You know where I'm going. We had him in the kitchen. We walked into the other room. We came back within minutes, seconds, I'd swear it, and he was gone, and the door was standing wide open, and we panicked. You know that. And our hearts dropped into our stomachs and our minds were racing with worst case scenarios. And we were doing the calculation. We were thinking, okay, how long have we been gone? How fast can this kid go? How close is the street? We were so scared. And we go tearing out of there. I mean, you know, this is milliseconds, right? But it seemed like hours. We'd go tearing out of there, too scared to cry at this point. We round the corner, and there sits Owen with a daffodil or something right in the middle of the yard, just carrying on, didn't even know he was lost. (laughs) Until mom burst into tears, and that scared him to death. And, you know, then they all flowed. But anyway, you know what that feeling is like to lose something precious. 
How all the more does God feel about us when we wander, when we opt out, when we grumble about others or fuss that we're not getting the attention we want, or when God doesn't fit in our box or color within the lines that we like? How much more does God go seeking and loving and compelling that search for us? Will Williman, who was the dean of Duke Chapel and a bishop in North Alabama, preached here last spring. One of his comments on this text is that in this text, there are two kinds of sinners, those who know they're lost and those who don't know they're lost. And what you find in this story is it's the ones closest to Jesus who are missing the point. Maybe we should suck in for effect, right? It's those closest to Jesus that somehow don't realize how far they've gone in spirit. Oftentimes it's those closest to Jesus who begin to criticize and grumble as the shepherd goes out to look for the one that everybody knows is lost, everybody knows is gone. And yet, how often do we grumble or fuss as the shepherd makes his way around the world and doesn't fit in the categories that we assign? the boxes that we create, the lines that we draw. There are two kinds of sinners going on. Those who know they're lost, those who haven't a clue. And the good news is Jesus is seeking all of us in that equation. Whether we've wandered outside the gate and we know we're there and maybe we like it out there. The grass may have seemed greener at the time we left. Maybe it's not so green anymore. We know Or we're reminded or we discover for the first time that the shepherd will come looking. And when we agree to go up on those shoulders or on back of the ATV, there's a party waiting for us. Or could we be those that are so close that we've missed the point? So close by action, indeed, by proximity, that we've missed the point that our relationship with the shepherd isn't based on our behavior. Not at all. That's not what starts it. Our relationship with the shepherd is the shepherd's willingness to find even those who are close by. And you don't realize that we're as lost as anybody else. What is it in our lives that cause us to miss the point? What is it that causes us to depend on our good behavior or our willingness to to listen and to hear and to sing and to praise? What is it that we need to check so that we can be truly found and brought back into that right relationship and begin again today or tomorrow or the next day living into that grace Accepting Jesus on his terms and willing to be part of whatever it is he's doing. Willing to go wherever it is he takes us. Willing to do what the shepherd would have us do. And frankly, that's extend grace on his behalf. For some reason, Jesus chooses to work that way. 
that those who begin to know that we've been found, whether we were far off or close by, those of us who begin to know that we have been found, begin to accept it, begin to live into it, we know that we are those then that the shepherd has commissioned, that the grace will compel to go and do likewise, never being satisfied until yet another sheep comes into the fold. Never being satisfied until another coin is found. We know that this is how we are called to be. We are called to act. Those of us forgiven even of our sins that might not be so apparent to everybody else, but boy, we sure know them. What are those of us sinners near and far? How is it that we begin to understand our own need for the shepherd? And how it is the shepherd is going to call and cause us to live. The scripture says it's going to end in a party. That ought to be enough, right? Who doesn't love a good party? The shepherd says, once all are found, once all are back, once my people are getting it and going out instead of grumbling, once those religious types, ouch, me, once they begin to get it, then that party's coming. And I don't think you have to wait for the sweet by and by for the party, by the way. I think we can live into this party of faith each and every day, celebrating what it is that God has done for us, celebrating what it is that God is willing to do through us, celebrating our value and our worth, not based on our behavior, which is never consistent and never good enough, celebrating what it is to be claimed fully and wholly by the grace of Jesus Christ. Wow. God, help us to celebrate the gospel, the good news that we've been found. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, sometimes all we can do is say thanks. Thanks for your patience. Thanks for your mercy, your kindness, your compassion. Thanks for searching for uh, sinners, those who are far, and certainly searching for those of us who, at least in proximity, are near. Help us, Lord, to recognize our need of you, knowing that relationship begins and ends with your grace, and that we live into that grace each and every day that comes our way. Help us, Lord, to celebrate that we have been found this day, and that if we stray, we'll be found again and again and again. Cause us to celebrate that you have found us so much that we don't want to leave, that we don't want to wander, that we don't want to grumble or criticize, that we begin to love the box that you have busted open wide. Help us to be faithful. Help us to follow wherever it is you lead, our good shepherd. Amen. So I'm not going to tell you you're miserable sinners who don't stand a chance. <laughs> not based on that text. Maybe we'll get to that some other time. That text tells us that we are beloved sinners who stand every chance because the shepherd has found us. Go forth knowing of your sin, knowing that you are loved and living close to the shepherd. Amen.